Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Good morning, everyone. It is 7 o'clock here in Canyonland, USA. Hey, Aaron. Mom still has not heard from you. Will you just call her, please? I'll talk to you soon. And this morning, on the boulder, we have a very special guest, Aaron Ralston! Oh my gosh, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Hey! You lost? I'm a guide. What do you say? (laughs) See, I'm something of a big hard hero. Oh, you have to remember that everything will be okay. Chipping away. Mm. Want to keep warm than anything? I have about 150 milliliters of water left, which should keep me alive till tomorrow night. I'm lucky. So that's it. Mom, Dad, I haven't appreciated you as I know that I could. I love you guys, and I'll always be with you. I bet you want to see the rest of that movie. <laughs> Incredible. 127 hours. You may have heard of the film. It's up for a bunch of awards at the Oscars in a few weeks. It's based on the true story of Aaron Ralston, who is that young uh, mountain climber. He went climbing uh, in the Utah desert when the unthinkable happens. As he's scrambling over some rocks, a huge boulder crashes down, crushing his right hand and pinning him alive. He's alone. He can't get out. And for 127 hours or five days in this isolated desert canyon, he got a lot of time to think about his life, about where he's been, the decisions he's made, and I don't want to spoil this for you, but he literally survives by making an unthinkable choice. He actually takes out a dull pocket knife and amputates his right arm, cuts it off between the wrist and the elbow, and literally, with his appendage off, hikes, repels 65 in the air, down a mountainside, hiking over eight miles through the desert until he is rescued. This is a true story. It's actually based on Ralston's biography, Between a Rock and a Hard Place, apt title. 
And I just saw this movie on Wednesday. It's inspiring. It totally is. It's gut-wrenching. This is not for the faint of heart, okay? This is not like, take the kids kind of moment. Um, But it is life-affirming because it reminds us that sometimes when the unexpected happens in life, we hit a detour from our original plans. It can either kill us or actually draw out character we didn't even know we'd had. Though we'd never picked this path for ourselves, in the end it actually draws out inner strength and resolve to find a way forward in the most seemingly hopeless situations in our lives. It's an incredible story. James Franco uh, plays the lead, and I think he's up for best actor. I, I couldn't think of a better way to kick off week two of our series Detour than that. Um, last week, we began tracking the story of a desert detour in the Old Testament. We looked at Exodus, how God led his people, the Israelites, on this journey out into the desert, where they encounter a series of setbacks. By way of review, if you remember it, the Israelites were not in Utah. Thank you very much. They were where? Where were they coming out of? Who's remembers? Egypt. Yeah, they're leaving Egypt, traveling 250 miles to where? The promised land. Yeah, Long Island. No. <laughs> Who are we going to nail this year, right? I mean, Troy, New York, you know, think of like the worst cities in the world. Okay, 250 miles. They were hiking in the desert, and they thought, it's a pretty straightforward journey. It should just take us a few weeks. But the reality is when they get out into the desert, things don't go as expected. The first thing that happens is they, uh, they run out of water. Remember this? They head south and they hit this town called Mara, which means, you guys remember this? Bitter. They run out of water. In the movie, Aaron Ralston, he's got like 350 milliliters of water, and he, he literally calculates he'll be alive for 120 hours, five days left to live in the desert. And his mind starts questioning, why did I even come out here? I'm going to die in the desert all alone in Exodus. God gives his people water. They get bitter about it. Why are we out here? Why do we even leave Egypt? But he gives them water, saves their life, and, and then they come to the next uh, kind of desert, if you remember that, the desert of sin there, where they run out of food, and they're like, we're running out of, out of food, and, and, and why did we ever leave Egypt in the first place, and we're going to die again? And, and we realize that's what happens at detours in life. We start questioning the path that God leads us on. And finally, they end up way down south in Sinai, the farthest place south you could get away from the promised land, and they end up stuck there for over a year. So there's a series of three major detours on their journey to the land and the life that God had for them. And what should have taken them a few weeks, now they were hopelessly off course, stuck in the desert, probably wondering if they were ever going to make it out alive to the promised land. And what we acknowledged, interestingly enough, is that this is actually a fairly accurate representation of the Christian life you and I lead. (laughs) This isn't just like Hebrew history from 4,000 years ago, but this is the journey that God still allows many of his children to experience today in the 21st century. I mean, when you think about it, you kind of get this. When we first become a Christian or or we make the decision, we give our life to Jesus. He's going to be our Savior, forgives our sins. We say, would you be my guide? That's what a Lord is. He's He's our guide. We're delivered from bondage like the Israelites, right? There was bondage to slavery under Pharaoh. Ours, the Bible says, is bondage to sin under Satan. And, and, and we're set free now to live in, in, in God's love. In the Old Testament, God sends Moses yeah, to rescue the people, lead them into that freedom. In the New Testament, it's Jesus who becomes our Moses, our Savior. And through his sacrifice on the cross, he, he cancels our sins. We're forgiven. We're going to the promised land. We're going to live with God in eternity, eternal life. He's going to put his Holy Spirit in us to lead us. And, and God says, I promise to give you hope and a future and i got a plan for your good and for my glory. And he makes that promise to us. Do you understand then the confusion that a lot of Christians feel? <laughs> because a lot of people come to Christ and they think, 
Woo! Now that God's on my side, it's smooth sailing ahead, right? I'm not alone anymore. God is leading me. I'm going to Disneyland or Promise Land, whatever, right? And we begin walking with God, but things don't get easier, but harder. Life actually gets more difficult. We run into, into roadblocks. We, we, run into, we run into detours, yeah? Okay? And life gets harder. And uh, I got this email this week. I really appreciate this, this candidness from a Jewish uh, man here at Liquid. He said, when he first became a Christian, converted to Christianity, he wrote, I remember being excited about the new me and called my parents to tell them about it. They hung up the phone on me, and I got a letter saying how hurt they were and that they basically disowned me. Awesome, right? I think my Christian high lasted about an hour. <laughs> and some of you can relate to that. I mean, maybe you're here kicking the tires of faith in, in Jesus and you're actually considering following him, but you're concerned about the fallout. You, you know what that decision might cost you. Your family might not react well. You know, your friends may, you know, reject you, make fun of you. You're in a church now. Ooh, holy roller now. Whoa, please. And you start questioning, can I trust God to lead me to a life that's better than the one I currently am living? Or if you've been a Christian for some time, maybe you're miles into the journey and you're stuck. And you're like, life is not turning out as planned. And you're thinking, what, what is God doing? What, what am I doing wrong? I thought he was going to take me from point A to point B as quickly as possible. Then why did I lose my job? Why did I lose my spouse? What, why can't I kick this addiction? That things owns me. Why did so-and-so break up? There's a million things. Why did so-and-so have to get sick and die? I love them. If God loved them, then why that happen? There are a thousand different detours on the Christian journey, particularly if the ones that you wrote last week on your connections card are, are, are sampling. A number of you had the courage to, uh, to talk and describe the detours that you're facing in 2011. Our pastors read every one of these, by the way, just incredible. Uh, this is a sample. One guy writes, um, I'm facing a career detour. My company's decided to move. I have no clue where they're going or if I should stay, and the uncertainty is killing me. Uh, this person wrote, my detour is persistent singlehood in my 20s, something I definitely hadn't planned on. Sometimes I feel frustrated that I haven't found my soulmate, the person God wants for me. Lots of these, lots of relationship detours. Um, I'm starting this year divorced and lost. I need to find my way. Uh, this year my family is facing a monumental detour in the form of pancreatic cancer. Uh, my mother was diagnosed in November, and this trial is testing our whole family. You can you, you feel it in that. This, this one, uh, this actually is wrenching. Uh, this couple wrote, Please pray for my husband and I as we prepare for the birth of our son who is not medically expected to live beyond a few days. Uh, thankfully, we have, this is incredible, thankfully we have felt God's presence with us on the journey to parenthood. It's incredible. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, financial detour, I'm facing bankruptcy, loss of income, maybe losing our home. And uh, this one's actually a spiritual detour. This person wrote, We're new to liquid. Our family had a bad experience at our previous church, and we feel like we're kind of wandering in the desert. I like that for some time. We want to find a spiritual home, but past wounds make us hesitant. We're gun-shy. Pray for our guidance. And, uh, you know, as I read these, um, at first, first off, thank you for your transparency. That, that is a gift. This, we read every one of these, and I consider this like holy ground. This is, this is, your, this is your journey, and I hope you know not only is God with you, but we are with you at Liquid. That, this, this is a safe place to honestly just be real, to be honest, and, and heal if, if you need to. I mean, some of you have taken just a huge step just by actually saying, I need help. I don't want to go down this road alone. And you know what? Guess what? You weren't meant to. 
That's why we're doing this. Because we want to be the kind of church that isn't like about like religious games, like let's get together for an hour on Sundays, put on a happy face, pretend everything's fine. That's the church I grew up in. But we don't wear masks at Liquid, okay? And uh, life is a struggle for, for a lot of people, which is why God gives us each other. That's why he sets us in a family called the church. Church ain't a collection of perfect people. But it's fellow travelers who can actually identify with each other's weaknesses. And in the middle of that, accept and embrace each other as Jesus did us, yeah? That's how life change happens. Unconditional love in the midst of our mess. So first off, thank you for sharing your weakness. In this church, it is a sign of strength, okay? I know for one, I am like privileged that we get to share this journey together. Today, what I want to do simply is just take a, a step at what happens next in the journey that will hopefully inspire you to consider what your next step is. Because th their journey is our journey. So let's do this. Let's open up to the book of Numbers. We're going to be in Numbers chapter 13 today. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. We're going to rock some numbers. Does anybody even know where that, name, where that book got its name? I've always wondered about like numbers, what's that? When it opens up, the people of Israel are literally camped at the foot of Mount Sinai. And God simply says to Moses, I want you to count the people. <laughs> Take a census. I want to know how many men can serve in the army because you're going to have to fight your way into the promised land, okay? Which is a little bit of a, think about this, because you're like, most people are like, oh, it's a cakewalk into Canaan. And he's like, no, you're going to have to fight your way in. There's going to be a conflict. So count the amount of men who could be soldiers, who could fight, okay? And basically Moses takes the census, or he begins numbering the people. That's where we get the name numbers from, all right? So the first thing God does is he tells Moses, he says, I want you to do some recon work. I want you to send 12 spies to the promised land and bring back a report. Look at verse 17 of Numbers chapter 13. It says this. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It says it was the season for the first ripe grape. So this is the first thing God does to say, okay, we're going to begin taking a step here. And he says, I want you, Moses, send these 12 spies. They're going to, they're going to look at the enemies you're going to encounter. They're kind of going to see, are they strong? Are they weak? These hostile tribes, are there a lot of them? They live in huts or walled fortresses. Is the land good? Does it grow stuff? Bring back a report. And this is where it goes. You can't even think it can go downhill from here, but this is incredible. Because these 12 spies, one is from each tribe, they go into Canaan, and they go there for 40 days. This is significant. And guess what they found? Look at this on verse 26. It says, they came back and gave this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Woo! Here is its fruit. Translation, this place is sweet, okay? Guys, you've got to see it to believe it. I don't know what you think when you hear like promised land, but it's, but it's milk and honey, it's sweet, and they present to Moses this fruit as evidence. Look at this, it says, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them had to carry it on a pole between them. In other words, it's wine country. It's not just milk, yeah, this is the heady stuff, this is big wine. Two guys have to carry these grapes, a single cluster, everything is... Texas-sized, Texas-sized grapes, Texas-sized uh, single cluster. And the people must have been pumped because they're like, the dream is still alive. We got stalled. We got a detour. But God's now taken us, and we're going to inherit this thing. And this must have been amazing because people are excited. God's still going to bless us. But there's always a but, isn't there? 
The Bible, particularly the Old Testament, is full of big butts. <laughs> Never trust a big butt. I learned that in seminary. But, they say, but the people who live there, this is interesting, are powerful. And the cities are fortified in what? Very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. That was a race of giants, abnormally sized people. So in other words, they're like, the grapes are big, but the people are bigger. And they live in cities, 25 foot high walls, 20 feet thick. That's what archaeologists have dug up. Soldiers on the perimeter, and they're like, and there's a bunch of them that's crawling with enemies. It says, the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Ites, 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 Ites. The place is crawling with our enemies, yeah? Talk about a buzzkill here. So you can just imagine they're kind of these spies. They're just draining the joy from the people, these ten spies, when all of a sudden, in verse 30, a guy named Caleb speaks up. It says, Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, Now, we should go up and take possession of the land. For what? We can certainly do it. So all of a sudden, there's a conflict. Ten of the spies say, No way, dude. You see the size of these guys? But two of them, Caleb and then later Joshua, say, No, we can do this. You know why? Not because of our strength, because of God's strength. God promised us, and with him leading, that thing is ours. We are going up, and we are going in. Let's go. Majority report, 10. Minority report, 2. Now read verse 31, because it all turns on this. But the men who went up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites. What's it say there? They spread a what? A bad report about the land they'd explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. The, the Nephilim were actually giants who lived on the earth before the flood. This is fascinating. People in that tribe were seven to nine feet tall. Okay, this is where Goliath came from. This is where LeBron came from. Okay, this is like, this is the Nephilim. So... So all of a sudden, these people are faced with these two conflicting reports. The majority report, it's bad, we're going to get slaughtered, we're facing giants. And the minority report, we can do it. The, the majority report, the ten spies, they were blown away by the size of everything. The grapes are big, the people are bigger. Too many big fear factors. And this is a tip for us, isn't it? What's being said here is that anytime you take a step out in faith to take hold of the life that God has for you, you've got to expect opposition. It's not going to be a cakewalk here. There are going to be all sorts of obstacles the enemy is going to try to use to intimidate you, to strike fear into your heart and keep you paralyzed. And that's exactly what happens. This bad report paralyzes the people. Look at verse 2 of chapter 14. All the Israelites did what? They grumbled again against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt! Or in this desert, in other words, here it is again. I mean, we have been here. It's like, holy smokes. Not another detour, please. And it says, why did the Lord bring us in this land? Let us fall by the sword. Our wives, our kids will be taken as plunder. And then they say this. I love this. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to where? Egypt? Hmm, something sounds similar. <laughs> have we been here before? <laughs> I mean, look at this. We've seen a pattern. Does anybody see a pattern here? The, the, the Israelites are a stand-in for you and me. Because the truth is, when your life, when my life, it's a series of roadblocks, especially giant-sized one. We take our eyes off of God's promise, I'm going to go with you. My, remember this? My presence will go with you. And we magnify our fears. We're going to die. God's not in this thing. I, I don't know if he knows what he's doing. I think, 
I think we were better off back here. That's how the Christian life goes, right? Jesus cancels our sin. He stakes us to this promise of a brand new life in Christ, and we're pumped about it. And guess what? We wake up, and it's not a cakewalk. It's a conflict. It's a war. I don't know what you've been told. You've seen what they say on you know, television. But the Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. That's the main metaphor the Bible uses. And when we come to a crossroads, it's like we get a choice. Will I be paralyzed by fear and worry of what could happen? Or will I actually take a step in faith to take hold of the life God's calling me to? What are you going to do? It's not about the size of your detour, guys. It's about the size of your God. It's about theology. How big is your God? Do you have a big God or do you have a small God, small g? The Israelites didn't fully trust that God would actually provide for them. They actually start crying, a wave of, it's sad, they start blubbering, a wave of panic kind of sweeps through the camp. And they literally discuss, maybe we should go back into Egypt, back into bondage. <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, and, and candidly, in our generation, a lot of Christians in, in our generation are not much different. A little discomfort, a few trials, a couple of dry spells, we're ready to retreat. And here's the deal. God will never force you to enter the promised land. He will simply give you a choice. Will you stay stuck in fear or step out in faith? That's the crossroads some of you are facing right now as you look at the detours in your current life. Are you going to approach this situation with fear of what could happen or faith? No matter what happens, God is with me no matter what. His face is going before me, and he'll use this for my good and for his glory. And the truth of the matter is there's a very thin line between faith and fear. Did you know that? Seriously, let me, let me show you something. This is kind of interesting. Um, I think I've mentioned this to you before. Think about um, fear. What's the definition of fear? It's really believing what hasn't happened will come true, right? I'm going to the doctors for a test, and I just know it's going to come back positive. It runs in my family. We always get bad news. I'm destined to get this fear. You, you're believing what hasn't happened will come true. Now, what's the definition of faith? And you're like, well, it would be the opposite of that, right? No, it's the exact same thing. Believing what hasn't happened will come true. I actually have no reason to even worry or have any anxiety about that report. God is in control of everything here, and I know he will be with me no matter what the diagnosis is. He'll use it for my good, work it for my good and for his glory. What am I worrying about? I may, I may have a giant in my path, but I'm not going to let it block my view of God. He's bigger than any stupid report. I have faith. I believe what hasn't happened will come true. God will take me to get me to where he has destined me to go, no matter what. Isn't that interesting? Fear and faith both share the exact same definition. Whenever we face a crossroads in our life, maybe you're facing one today, God gives you a choice. Will you stay stuck in fear or Take a step in faith, believing not in your strength, but in the strength of your God. The majority of the Israelites choose fear. <laughs> and of course, it does paralyze them. Self-pity and despair kind of raid the camp. But then they hear the minority report again. Two men, two guys, only two. Caleb and then Joshua speak up. And this is the voice of truth, the voice of faith. Listen to this. Joshua and Caleb, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he'll give it to us. Now listen to this. Let's say this together. Ready? Do not 
be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. I love this. They ain't going to devour us. We're going to swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but what? The Lord's with us, so you don't be afraid of them. Whatever your situation is, I don't know what you wrote on your connection card, what you're even facing today. Maybe you're just tuning in online. Awesome. When you come to that crossroads, you're going to hear a voice of fear, and then there's the voice of truth. And the question is, what are you going to listen to? Why don't you think about this? Twelve men went out, surveyed the same land, surveyed the same situation, and ten said, no way. And the other two go, piece of cake. If God goes before us, we're taking it. Don't you remember his promise to Moses? My presence will go with you. In other words, you're like, this isn't our fight, guys. He promised this land to us, and he's going to give it to us. You see the giants? We're going to swallow them up, man. Their protection is gone. But the Lord's with us, so don't be afraid of them. That's the voice of truth. They are on the cusp of the promised land. And Caleb and Joshua were not focused on the size of their giant, but on the size of their God. It's all about the size of your God. Who's bigger, God or your giant? Which path will you follow? You're going to choose faith, you're going to choose fear. Understand this. The road you choose will determine how you respond to every detour you face through your life. I was talking with a, a, a few um, friends who are single, and it was funny because uh, friends who are single who'd like to be married, and one of them said, you know what, Tim, I'm actually not dating right now, and honestly, I get depressed sometimes <laughs> when, I, when I think about the lack of progress. And uh, even though I, I don't see someone on the horizon right now, I'm trusting God. I know he'll bring along Mr. Right and the right timing. I'm believing that. I kind of have to tell myself that, but I'm believing that in faith. And they are approaching. Oh, that's approaching a season of singleness with faith. I'm believing what I can't see is going to happen. I have talked with other folks who are in the exact same situation, and they believe what hasn't happened yet will come true. They say, you know what? I, I'm never going to be married. I, 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 I don't see anyone out there. I've always been alone. I currently am alone. I will always be alone. I will end up like my lonely Aunt Lois in a studio apartment with nine cats. This is how my life is going to go. That literally, if, two voices. If you're struggling, maybe you're, maybe, you, maybe you're struggling, uh, maybe you had a miscarriage, maybe you're struggling with infertility. Same choice. You can believe what hasn't happened will come true. We, we're, ne- we're never going to have a family. Or by faith, you can say, you know what? The Lord is with us and will provide everything we need. I believe that. I believe he's promised good to us and that he has good intentions towards our family. Even when I can't see it, I believe it. It will not turn me bitter. It will not take me out. I will not be paralyzed. Instead, I will trust him at all times, even when I can't see it. That's exactly what faith is. It's interesting, isn't it, how faith and fear intersect? There's a very thin line between them. And when you come to a detour in your life, you get to choose. Will you believe the majority or the minority report? Faith or fear? It's interesting because Caleb, Caleb was not so much a man of great faith as a man of faith in a great God. He trusted that what God promised would come to pass, and God's word was enough for him. That gave him confidence to take on the giants. And this is rare. I mean, think about the people in your life who you know who, like, it doesn't actually matter what you say to them. They kind of tune out the naysayers, <laughs> And they believe the minority report. And the reality is, guys, sometimes in your life, when you're following hard after Christ, the safest, sanest thing you can do is charge your giant. <laughs> I mean, we all have giants in life. You, you may, you, maybe you're facing a giant of, you know, fear today. Something has you frightened. Think about your life. What intimidates you? 
Is there a situation that keeps you up at night? Every time you think about it, like grips you by the throat, like it'll never go away. That's a giant. Maybe you're facing a giant of addiction. You, you've tried to overcome it again and again. you failed over and over again. Uh, alcohol, porn, uh, overeating, the list is endless. But now it's a monster in your life. It's something that kind of taunts you day in, day out. You know, you're never going to be free of this. Maybe you face a giant of personal attack. Maybe someone keeps slandering you. Or you've got a lawsuit against you. Maybe someone's actually threatened you or your family. I don't, I don't know. That giant could simply be a, a heartbreaking situation that seems to just be always unresolved. Maybe you're married to a spouse who wants nothing to do with Jesus or a church, and you've been praying for a while, and I just don't see anything happening. You've got a kid who's going off the deep end or, or debts that are like threatening to crush you. A giant is anything in your life that seeks to control or intimidate you to prevent you from following the voice of truth. Because the Bible actually says, faith says, you know what, with God, all things are possible. God's word can demolish any stronghold. It, it, God, you don't miss the big idea of numbers here. <laughs> what they're saying is, anytime you take a step of obedience towards the promised land, this life God has destined you for, you should expect opposition, accusation, intimidation, the voice of fear. Last week after, uh, after our service, a young man came up to me and, uh, who's been struggling with alcohol. And, uh, and he just joined AA last week. And we like celebrated. I celebrated. I was like, dude, that is incredible. That's like a huge step in the battle. You know, he said, he said you know, Pastor Tim, I didn't, I didn't know it'd be this hard. I got through my first couple days, but by midweek, I kind of heard like, you know, you're never going to make it. I don't know if I can make this. And I started thinking about this. I was like, wait a minute. Let me, let me think about this. My friend, my brother, is taking his first step towards sobriety and freedom. That's a life God has for him. That's a destiny God has for him. And what he hears in the middle of the week is, you're never going to make it. Where do you think that comes from? Where do you think that comes from? Folks, you've got to know not just how to hear the voice of God, but how to hear the voice of Satan, the enemy. He's called the father of lies. He's called the accuser of the brethren. Maybe you're a young woman, you, you've taken a, uh, a stand on sexual purity. You want to you save yourself for, for marriage. I know it's like old-fashioned, but I know that's what God's want. What he wants. I want God's best for me and a mate. And sometimes you lay there at night, though, thinking, you're going to end up alone if you don't compromise. You kind of hear that. Or maybe it's not even just like a whisper in your head. Maybe actually your girlfriend said to you, dude, sit, no, no guy is going to go out with a girl who doesn't put out. That's the voice of the enemy saying, come back to Egypt. It's better over here. Remember that? The, Satan's the accuser. And that's one of the ways you know it's his voice and God's, not God's, trying to discourage you. Anytime you hear thoughts or whispers that are fear-based or full of shame and condemnation, that comes from the father of lies who wants you to go back to Egypt, not your heavenly father who wants you to take hold of the life he has for you. So if your career, your business has tanked, or you've hit a financial detour, and you hear, you're a failure, you'll never amount to anything. Who is this? This is the voice of the enemy. Folks, this is about the war to embrace who you are as a child of God and live out of that identity. See, when Christ comes into your life, he doesn't promise a smooth road, but he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. You are now a beloved son or daughter of your heavenly father. He has an eternal home for you, and I'm putting my spirit in you. And greater is he who is what? In you than he who's in the world. Amen? 
And that promise is based on his strength, not yours. So you don't fight in your strength. In Christ, nothing's impossible. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God's word is the truth of your situation, and it has the power to demolish strongholds. So don't let the bad birds keep you pinned down. Don't believe the majority report, the lies, the whispers, the the accusations to whatever situation you're facing. The minority report is the voice of truth, of faith. It believes all things. It believes what it can't even see. And and just candidly, I don't mean to minimize your situation, but quite frankly, the size of your detour, how big is your detour, is irrelevant. The real question is, how big is your God? How big is your God? Do you trust him enough to choose faith over fear at this crossroads moment in your life? What do you think the Israelites chose, by the way? I'd love to say, well, God taught them in school for about four sessions of overtime learning here. And so they finally got the message. They believed Caleb and Joshua. But Numbers 14.10 says, the whole assembly talked about stoning them. That would be a no. And because the Israelites chose fear over faith, their journey literally came to a dead end. It's over in the desert. God gets so frustrated with their complaint. He says, in this desert, your bodies will fall, every one of you, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand and make your home, except for who? Except for Caleb and Joshua. In other words, God says, you choose fear, then I hope you like the desert, sweetheart. And basically, puts up a do not enter sign at the entrance. He says, you're going to die in the desert. Your worst fears have to come true for your lack of faith. You know how long they're in the desert? 40 years. 40 days scouting out the promised land and 40 years they're doing donuts in the desert. Do you know how far away they were for the promised land at this point? 11 days walking. That's how long it would take you or I today. And they went in circles for 40 years. And 40 years is fitting. The Bible, 40 years is thought to be a generation lifespan. And because of their unbelief, God said, the present generation with this slave mentality needs to die off before I can lead a new generation take hold of the, the life I have for them. Even Moses died in the desert. Do you know that? Moses never entered the promised land. He got P.O.'d. He struck a rock in anger with his staff. And God said, you're out too. Forty years I think about being stuck in Utah, 127 hours stuck between two places. 365 days at the foot of a mountain. What is God teaching us? Can you imagine 40 years of your life stalled and wasted because you lived a half-hearted faith? That's a question for you. My fear is that a lot of people in my generation, in our church, listening on wherever you are, are in danger of dying like Moses did on the wrong side of the dream that God had for their life. They were this close. They were this close. And they died on the wrong side of the dream God had for them. Is that you? Are you in danger of dying on the wrong side 
of the promise that God has for your life. Folks, there's more. God's inviting some of you to go further up and further in, and you're at a crossroads. Is faith going to stay this polite thing for you to do for an hour on Sunday, or is it going to become an all-consuming passion? Because God is actually forgiving and patient, and you know what? He's not much, though, for half-hearted followers of his son. And in every crowd, there are cowards and there are Caleb's. Every crowd, every church, every generation, cowards and Caleb's. And God's looking for Caleb's. He's looking for men and women who are actually gutsy enough to take him at his word. The Bible says God will save anyone with the faith of a mustard seed, but he will only use a man or woman like Caleb to change a generation. Every man and woman died in the desert, but now listen to God's words. Listen to this in Numbers 14, 24. It says, because my servant Caleb has a what? A different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I'll bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. What's God looking for? God is looking for wholehearted followers of his son Jesus Christ. People who are willing to look at the journey and count the cost and then pick up their cross and say, I am going to charge the giant, confront the enemy, head on in the power of my Lord. This is what God's looking for. That's faith. That's faith. It's, it, and that's a gift. That's Even that's a gift. I don't know what detour or uh, crossroads you've come to. Candidly, maybe God is calling you somewhere. Maybe, he, he, maybe he's asking you to, to kind of pick up your tent and actually take your family and belongings and set out for new territory, kind of a, a new assignment or something, and it's intimidating to you because you'd have to give up what's familiar or, or comfortable and maybe take a harder road. Maybe it means moving or starting over, and, and, and you see what could be exceedingly good. Oh, man, that could be incredible. But there's some pretty big fear factors. The walls, the giants, man. I heard New Jersey devours people. <laughs> and those bad birds are chirping. You know what? The voice of faith is that, you know the voice of faith is calling you, it's telling you to take that step, and God's looking for a Caleb. And your decision point today is, are you going to believe the minority report and follow him wholeheartedly wherever he leads? I am not promising it'll be easy. I am not promising things will go smooth or that you won't face hard choices. In 127 hours, when he was trapped in that canyon, he made the decision to cut off his right arm to hike out of the desert and live. And if he hadn't, he would have stayed stuck and died there. It's incredible. Your sacrifice may cost something very near and dear to you to follow God. But it's the wisest decision you'll ever make. The wisest one. If you're going to take hold of the life God has for you, don't die like Moses did. This close on the doorstep of the dream God has for your life. The Israelites were that close. I think about that. 11 days. That means God scrambled their GPS and they literally did circles for 40 years. And then they died. And their journey with God, faith, came to a what? Dead end. Don't let yours. I want to end by sharing you a letter I got that to me is incredible. It's from a, uh, a young woman named Cassie who used to attend Liquid. She wound up moving about two years ago. Some of you remember Cassie. She sent me this email. I found it so encouraging. She said this, Pastor Tim, on August 19, 2008, during the Rock God series, you posed a question to all of us. What would we do if we knew 100% that God was with us as we stepped out in faith? As you may remember, I was trying to go back to nursing school, but so much had stood in my way. However, in response to your question, I gave my two weeks notice at work 
and trusted that God would pave the way. When I get emails like this, I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> you know, crumb. And close, is my class action legal lawsuit against you? You know, kind of thing. No, but she says, she goes, it's over two years later. The journey's been amazing. There were some really tough times in my personal life that were devastating and some that were great. There were times when I was overwhelmed with the demands of school in my financial situation and I wondered if I could finish the program. All through those ups and downs and those moments I doubted, I remembered that question. What would I do if I knew 100% that God was with me? I remembered it when I started school, that he paved the way and he's going to pave the way now. And every time, can I tell you what he did? When it came close to failing one of my classes, he gave me the knowledge and clarity of mind and perseverance to pass. When my roommate tried to take her life in my third semester, he brought me peace instead of anxiety and I had the opportunity to share Jesus Christ with her. When it came time to take my board exam, he gave me knowledge. When it came time to finding a job, he went ahead of me and secured the place where he wanted me. And I'm happy to update you that I just graduated with my master's in nursing and passed my board exam in September. I'm now officially an RN, and today I've been granted my first job as a nurse. And through it, awesome Cassie, go Cassie. Listen to this. Listen to this. Through it all, I've gone back to that series reminding myself that God has a plan for me every time I doubt myself. That truth has been my rock for two and a half years, and trusting God through all this has been one of the hardest yet most gratifying experiences of my life. I cannot express to you the peace and joy my heart feels knowing, listen, that I'm doing with my life what God has called me to do. My plan now is to start working, get my finances on, I've got a bunch of student loans, and then to fulfill the other calling of my life in medical missions. I'm hoping in a few years I'll be financially sound enough to maybe do Doctors Without Borders. I'll probably be listening to that Rock God message again because I got a lot of fear about missions work. I just called to write you this email, update you on my journey, and encourage my friends and family at Liquid, and then she says some embarrassing stuff about me, and then she signs it. This is how she signs it. She signs it, Cassie Bressler, MSN, RNCNL. I don't even know what all those initials mean. <laughs> But is God not good? God is good. And you can trust him. And he will take you wherever he has called you to go. Two years ago, Cassie sat in this room in these same seats at a crossroads. She had a vague sense of her promised land, the, the, the call God had on her life. And there were plenty of voices telling her that it would be easier to turn back. She's going to choose fear. She's going to choose faith. Will she be a coward or a Caleb? Guess what Cassie did. Cassie stepped out. She said, my life is not going to be a dead end. We are not going to, no one is going to keep me from taking hold of the dream God has for me. Sorry about that. Now I have a lawsuit on the left. That's awesome. That's a great moment. Cassie's a Caleb. She said, you're not going to block me from it because when God goes against, before me, who's against me? And you know what? She took God at his word. And he gave her, even when we doubt, do you understand this? God's faithful. Faithful, full of faith. When our faith is small, God is faithful. And today, just can't just bring this back here, literally, I'm guessing he's calling some of you today to take a similar step and actually say, I'm going to trust him with my whole heart. I'm not halvesies anymore. I'm all in. I'm all in. You are sitting in the same seat Cassie sat in. And my question to you is, where are you going to be in two years? Will you have a story to tell? You're going to be stuck in the same place doing donuts in the desert with your life. Today, you need, you need to take that step, and you've got to give God your whole heart. Not half heart, not, yeah, sprinkle a little Jesus. Surrender your whole life to him. 
Surrender is, mis- surrender is not giving up. It's giving in to the call God has on you. If that is you, I am going to pray, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to stand up right where you are so God can see you, and our pastors and our leaders are going to come over you and put their hands on you and pray for you. So let's bow our heads right now. Don't miss this chance. All heads bowed, all of our campuses. God, we're holy moment. Father, just take a breath here. Numa, your Holy Spirit, Father God. Speak to your people. Don't miss this chance. If God is talking to you, we don't even know that the situation you're facing, the decision, maybe this is your Caleb moment. Put your faith in him. Put your faith in Christ for the first time. Maybe you're going to rededicate your life to him. Trust him with your whole heart. Right now, stand up where you are if you want us to pray for you. Would you just stand up over here on the left, a bunch of people, two on the left. Praise God for you in the back over there. Our pastors, our leaders are going to come and pray for you. Praise God. Caleb's standing up all over the place. Praise God for you. That is incredible. Awesome. God, right now, I pray for every man and woman, God. Father God, with your Holy Spirit, capture this moment with your fire, God. Stamp it in their heart. Let there be Caleb's, Joshua's, God's stories all over the place because of what's happening right now. If you're standing, I just invite you just to pray out loud. Just pray, God, I trust you. I give my life to you. Jesus, forgive my sins and lead me. Guide me. Use me. I will go wherever you ask me to go. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Father God, you have heard these words. Only you can judge the sincerity. And right now I pray that you would confirm that with your Holy Spirit, Father. I want to invite you to stay standing at all of our campuses. Our pastors and leaders are going to pray with you. We're going to make sure we pray for every single person. God bless you. Just keep standing right there as we respond in worship. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.